Hi, I am Dan. And I'm Jenny. This is Rookie Movie Reviews. And what do we do on this podcast, Dan? We are burning through the top 100 IMDb fan-rated movies of all time. In no particular order. Yes, we're not going by year or, you know, in, in the order of the ranking. The only order that we really will do is if we have a bunch of directors all on the same... Uh, list so like we're we just finished up all our Hitchcock we did a bunch of Kubrick all that stuff yeah next up is maybe Tarantino yeah I'm excited for Tarantino because you know I'm a white male in my 20s uh it just really itches my monkey brain itches it (laughs) very very satisfyingly I, I like Tarantino and I'm very excited because we plan on doing that chronologically. Yes. Which is going to be an interesting approach, I think. I'm going to do a foot tracker. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We've also, like, we're both fans of Tarantino. Oh, for sure. So it'll be pretty cool to watch this development uh, of this guy. Yeah. Like, But Safely. that's not what we watched today. No, today we watched The Usual Suspects. And what did you think of The Usual Suspects? I, I have to say this is probably one of the top 100 movies of all time. Yes, I would agree, and I think uh, it's fair to put a disclaimer here that if you have not seen The Usual Suspects, the, uh, the, the, the movie is not as enjoyable if you know everything that occurs in it. Yeah, this is the second time I've seen it. Yes, and it's still good. I've seen it like two or three times, but... <sighs> It's uh, it's heavily plot based. Yeah. So. All right. So yeah. Spoiler alert for this podcast. Yeah. And well, the reason I say that is because some movies, I think, like Parasite. Yeah. Even if you kind of know what's going to happen, you can still appreciate how well it's made or how compelling the characters are. And this one, the characters are fine, but they're not making you rethink humanity and stuff no. so uh sorry i didn't mean to derail us off the bat there oh you're no they no derailment happened this train is got that community episode <laughs> anyway opens on a sewer well it's it's water harbor I think it's, it's a, a harbor oh yeah probably and we're in California, San Pedro, California. I think so. Okay. Yeah. And there's a man sitting, obviously battered, bruised, beaten, and he lights a fire. And it's it looks like it's after the carnage of something. Some kind of fight happened here. Yeah. A lot of casualties, a lot of disruption. Bullets, bodies, and fires all over the place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this man who's beaten starts lighting a fire around him, presumably to kill himself? Yeah, I, I guess uh, the uh, little explosion of rage and going out on my terms kind of thing. I don't know what his idea was. He starts a trail of a fire to blow shit up. Yeah. But somebody who's up in some rafters, stairs. stairs. He's, at this, he's on the second floor of this shipping boat. Oh, I guess yeah. that's important to say. They're on boats. The, it is a boat. It's all, the, this opening shot is on a boat. That's where the water is from. They ultimately make their way to a boat. A mystery is all about a boat. 
and the man who pees on the fire, Kaiser Soze. Yes. And he takes a big pee on the fire, says some badass shit, and then he kills the man by, again, lighting the gasoline. Well, he shoots him. Well, also, uh, and then also blows shoots everything him, sorry. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question off the bat. Mm-hmm. As far as, you know, story structures go, how do you feel about the in-media res start? You know, like, when we're starting off, it's, I forget its exact translation, but basically, in the action. We start off when uh, either everything's going off, or after it all just ended, and you... It's like, oh, mystery. Look at this crazy thing. Now we're going to show you how we get there. How do you feel about that? I think studies have been done that say if a story is spoiled, it can still be enjoyable, if not more so. Mm-hmm. So I think my monkey brain <laughs> manipulates me into liking that. I don't think I have any qualms with it. I'm trying to think of another movie where that happens. It's basically the, yep, that's me meme. Like record scratch. Oh. <laughs> uh, so like Disney original movies. I bet you're wondering how I got into this situation. <laughs> yeah. uh, I liked Ferris Bueller's Day Off, sure. Oh, no, that, that'd that be fun. <laughs> I just thought of a edit like to the character that gets shot in the head is Keaton at the beginning here. <laughs> just have a, like him smoking and dying, just record scratch. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> or that's me, because he tries to do it. He, he tries so hard to do a very bad Italian ex- or Irish accent. He, I was going to look it up, because I don't know if the actor, uh, I think it was Gabriel Byrne. I don't know if he's an Irish person, and I put my foot in my mouth by saying he's failing at an Irish accent. Or is he Irish and he's failing at an American accent? Because he's failing at something. <laughs> and it's really noticeable. Like, he, it's so noticeable because as we learn about his character, and he has a lot of dialogue, mm-hmm. he's speaking in a normal American voice. Yeah. And then sometimes it'll be like, whoa, Irish brogue, you know? Yeah. It's really bizarre. It's, it throws you off. Mm-hmm. It's not good. So, <laughs> yeah, I get yeah. Deacon, Dean. Dean, Dean Keaton. Dean Keaton, thank you, dies at the beginning of the movie. But, record scratch. I bet <laughs> you're wondering how he got in this situation. So, <laughs> uh, before this all happened, we're going to yesterday. And a truck, a truck got hit. It was like months prior. Because this is right. like... Uh, like three or six months or something. Sorry, um, you are correct. Aha! <laughs> anyway, it does a flashback. I remember it saying, present day, tomorrow, yesterday. Yeah, it's got weird timeline jumps. It, yeah. it didn't have to label any of them, I don't think. I I think for viewers like me. It's, uh, the movie is supported by viewers like you. PBS? Yes. Thanks in part to viewers like you. Okay, so there was a hit. On a truck with guns, guns, big gun truck, and what are they doing? Who are they pulling in? What's happening now? They're rounding up the usual suspects. Oh, uh, <laughs> and among these suspects are um, Mianus McManus, guy with bad haircut, uh, a Baldwin, one of the Baldwins, it's... Seth Baldwin. Yeah, it's like Stephen or Seth or something. Some the, S Baldwin. The forgotten Baldwin. Now that you say it, he does look like Alec Baldwin, but I'm not entirely sure if they're brothers. 
I think they are. Like the Baldwins, uh, it's basically three brothers or so, or four, and then Alec Baldwin is the big one, and the rest all have movies that you've probably seen, like Stephen Baldwin here in The Usual Suspects, but they're all increasingly bizarre looking, which might get me got by the... Well, I think the Baldwins aren't bad looking. Well... I think this guy had a bad haircut. Oh, yes. Very much. I don't know. They kind of all... I think of um, John Travolta, the Baldwins, and uh, who's that guy that does those bad kung fu movies? No, uh... Oh! The, God, he... His name is escaping me, but... Jackie Chan. No. <laughs> uh, damn. I, I don't know. It's escaping me, but... Bad kung fu movies. He's an uh, overweight white guy with slick back hair and a ponytail, and he... Val Kilmer. Not Val Kilmer. Um, he's, he's always trying to be, like, this badass, but... Val Kilmer! <laughs> it is, I am, that might be true of Val Kilmer, but I have to stress I am not talking about Val Kilmer. This I know guy for played Batman really badly. No, these are movies like, um, like, uh, like Sub-Zero, uh, Mountain Death and stuff like that. And it's just him going into a snowy base and, uh, punching a bunch of henchmen in the head and then having sex with a woman and then the movie ends. It's like that kind of shit. Uh, I don't know. I'll think of it later. It'll pop into my head and I'll say, oh, this guy. But if anyone's listening, they probably know who I'm talking about. Yeah, they know you're talking about Val Kilmer. No, I'm not <laughs> But this roundup scene, I really liked because it shows you the whole cast super effectively. And it's not visual storytelling because you hear the characters talk and stuff. Yeah. But it kind of encapsulates them so quickly and so effectively like this is the kind of person they are like when McManus gets picked up he's not even going to get out of bed and he has guns pointed at his head and he's just like a slick talking guy yeah and then Benicio Del Toro is kind of a shifty tries to play it off and acts like he's innocent and um I forgot the other guy's name, Hodgson or something. Uh, Hockey. Hockey? Hockney. Hockney. So Hockney gets picked up and he was he looks like the guy that was in Clerks. Uh, the guy who plays Dane, uh, or Dante. Dante. Yeah. 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 He looks like him. I know it's not him. They look similar. He could be a stunt double. Yes. Maybe. Is that Val Kilmer? <laughs> but we meet all these characters. I think it's a super effective way to show a big cast of characters in a entertaining way. Yeah. They all get picked up. Meeting everyone. And then we meet our sort of main character, uh, the guy who we saw die. Uh, yeah. Dean Keaton. Deacon. He gets <clears throat> and, stolen from a restaurant. Yeah, he's he's making upscale plans with some upscale people. And he's with his girlfriend who's a district attorney. Or, yeah, some kind of lawyer. Yeah, she's a super powerful lawyer. And he gets brought in and they're all questioned. And they have the lineup scene mm-hmm. where they have to read the line. And uh, I think at this point it's being narrated by Kevin Spacey. Yes. Who is a uh, verbal kind. Mm-hmm. So they all have to read this line. It's again very funny, and I, I'm sure you've seen the post on Reddit over and over about how they were given this line, and that scene was actually it was directed as, "Yeah, you come forward, say the line," but they all were trying to make each other laugh, and that's why they're all cracking up and stuff. It's because 
when Benicio Del Toro was like, what the fuck is this? Like, none of them really knew exactly what it was going to say, so they were all... It's a super fun scene to watch because of that. Like, it's super organic, and uh, I don't mean to zero in on this one sequence so much, but it's it's really good and really fun. I love scenes like that in any media. Yeah, like the uh, episode of the most recent season of It's Always Sunny. Yep. Where <laughs> Charlie uh, snaps a jewelry box clothes on Frank, and Frank is legitimately surprised. Pretty woman. They both share a laugh. Yeah. Just organic stuff like that comes up in this movie feels pretty organic with all the characters. You know, mm-hmm. they, they seem like they kind of know each other uh, yeah. well. It translates well. Yeah, it's really good. Really good. So now they're all in a cell. <sighs> they are all in a cell. And Keaton talks about how he's trying to go straight. But McManus has a job. And it, it would need all five of them. But Keaton's like, no. But, you know, they get him anyway. Yeah. It's not It's not that good. It's the setup. It's not as good as, like, the Ocean's Eleven setup. But yeah. it's a plot device that drives them to continue to keep working together. Because they also get some exposition about how, like, oh, I do one one mess up with a friend, and now they got their eyes on me all the time. I didn't even do this. We're all innocent. Uh-huh. And during this scene, uh, Verbal says something, and then Hockney's like, oh, so you're Kaiser Soze. It's like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, they all talk about, uh, they bring up this boogeyman. Yes. Sort of, of Kaiser Soze. Yeah. And- uh, I forget how they introduce him exactly. It's just kind of mentioned he's the mythic figure of, of a villain. But uh, at this point, they're all in the cell. And uh, before we go forward to Keaton accepting the job. Right. There's, um, we see 20... Well, men get pulled from the water. There's a cut to the police. And this is a massacre only, happened. Yeah, at the boat. And it's yeah. only important because this is where we meet Giancarlo Esposito... Gus. The detective, yeah, Gus Fring, and I didn't believe it was him at first. I'm like, that's Gus, but so he's young. very young in the movie. No glasses. So Th- 20... That might be it. No glasses. I'm, I'm used to seeing him with glasses because of Gus Fring. Yeah. But then and... I guess in the media after, like a Mandalorian, he just doesn't have glasses. In Community, he has glasses. Oh, yeah. He looks exactly like Gus Fring. Yeah, yeah, which is fun because he also is a little evil. Yeah, he's but misunderstood. Devious. That's true. Damn, this makes me wanna. I'm just thinking of that. Are scene. we watching Breaking Bad again? Yeah, I'm thinking of that scene where he's in the elevator, just thinking back to the pool he was at, where his uh, friend was murdered, and he decided to get revenge, and it just cuts to him stone cold. Ugh. Yeah. What a show. So this is a different boat murder than the one Keaton dies in, but 27 men are dead. Oh, it's the same. It's the same boat murder. Who are the Hungarians? The Hungarians are all the guys, like, in the climax when they go to the boat and are shooting everybody. Oh. Those oh, are so all the dead Hungarians. See, this is why for viewers like me, there needs to be those time cards. Yeah, there's, so well, there's only skip. the one boat. And uh, so when the, on the scene where they're looking at the boat after, so it's uh, way in the past, all the men meet up, and uh, we go forward to... So the A-plot is in the past, men meet up, and the B-plot is with the cops in the future. Yeah, I guess okay. it's A-plot is the men doing their crimes, uh, B-plot is Agent Kuyan talking with Verbal in his office, and C-plot is Giancarlo Esposito going to the actual site of the shooting, and they find a survivor, and they talk to him in the hospital. So Kuyan and Gus oh Fring, God. those are happening at the same time, and everything else is in the past, but okay. it's all actually... You know, fabrication. Well, 
This is the second time I've seen this movie, and I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm as bad as, like, a mom who watches a movie. Okay? <laughs> I have mom energy was, already. Was Kuyan bad? <laughs> <laughs> so, Keaton was Kaiser Soze, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so the harbor with all the dead folks, and then we meet Agent Kuyan, mm-hmm. who hears that one of the guys that did the crime was picked up, and he flies to LA to question him, and it is verbal kint. One little clever thing that I liked, uh, we see a plane flying, and this is like a transition scene. So we see a plane flying, and then we hear Agent Kuyan's uh, voicemail. It says, hey, this is Agent Kuyan. I'm going to be in LA until this time. Mm -hmm. Leave a message. Here's Mm -hmm. how you can contact me. And I guess it's pretty simple, but I don't know if I've ever seen a movie communicate that a person is going to a specific place with that device. You know, it just seemed really clever to say, oh, that's his voicemail. He is traveling to L.A. So I thought that was clever enough to write. Believe it or not, Kuyin is not home. I wonder on earth who could it be? Is that a voicemail thing? Believe it or not, it's just me. George. That's George Costanza's voicemail. Really? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I never knew that, but I did see a different post on Reddit. Oh. Because uh, Jason Alexander is Mm -hmm. an opera singer. Yes. Yeah, and uh, Larry David made him do that over and over because he kept singing too good and he has to sing shitty. One of the comments on there pointed out how it would be really funny character trait for George to just be an amazing singer and have it never come up, but miss opportunity. Someone should go back yeah. in time and tell Larry David. What the hey. hell, Larry David? Because George is a do-nothing. Yeah. But if he had this amazing hidden talent. I guess it's funnier from the Larry David perspective that he's just nothing. Yeah. He's just like, this guy's a trash man. Just totally in a cynical view and all yeah. that. Really funny. Yeah. It's a good show. We should finish it. Yeah. It's like eight seasons. Okay. Anyway, Kuyan. Oh, God. I, so I rubbed a lint roller on my face like an idiot. And I've also started using a new sunscreen. And we've moved, so our pipe water is different. And my skin has just been so mad at me. Your skin looks great. What is that? Is it like irritated? It's itchy and bumpy. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It doesn't look bumpy. That's thank you. I'm sorry. Don't look harder. I'm, I'm trying. To, <laughs> I'm trying to see. I don't see anything. But if it feels <laughs> shitty, then I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's okay. Um, yeah. So Gus goes to visit the sick man in the hospital. He knows he's Hungarian. Also, I want to call out here. This movie, a woman, a nurse has to ask him to keep his mask up to prevent spread, spreading infection. Yeah. Topical. So and, topical. And he gets mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I'm not doing that. And it's kind of weird. The character that Giancarlo plays, whose name I totally forgot, uh, Detective something. Yeah. He, I wonder if they were trying to make a joke with how much of an asshole he is. I think in the 90s, like, being a huge asshole was supposed to be heroic for some reason. Yeah. Because watching Spacey, it now, it's like, geez. Yeah. Spacey's also an ass, but you're like, oh, ho, ho, ha, ha, fight the power. This movie's really anti-cop, which is also topical. Yeah, it's kind of 
fun to see all these criminals say fuck cops and all yeah. that. But. Also, can we acknowledge Kevin Spacey's a rapist? Mm-hmm. And we watched we watched this movie because it's on the list, but there are other Spacey movies we have avoided because he is a rapist. Yeah, it sours the whole experience. It's just, I don't want to watch this guy. He sucks. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame. I actually wrote down, like, I wish he wasn't such a horrible person because yeah. watching this movie... It's like, damn, he's a really good actor, mm-hmm. uh, and it, he's uh, horrible, too. So yeah. it's like, you can't appreciate his acting anymore, uh, because going to see movies with him in it is funding uh, a predator, so. Yeah. Ugh, anyway. We did not times. have, this was streaming for, well, you pay for the subscription, but it was streaming on Prime. Yeah. So. That's how we watch Also, it. Bezos is evil, but we keep giving him money. Keep buying stuff from Amazon. We gotta furnish that new apartment. Need new storage solutions, baby. Yeah. Oh boy, some some heavy moral questions here. <laughs> I mean, everything, every modern convenience, unless you make it yourself or grow it yourself, there's there's a little slave labor in it, mm-hmm. which is yeah. just so shitty to think about. Unless you're willing to pay a huge premium to not have. Slave labor. But also, there's no guarantees that because something is more pricey is that somewhere down the chain. Like, where is the yarn sourced from? Where are the machines made from that made the yarn? Stuff like that. Yeah, it, basically, the more you pay, the further you move the 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 event back in yeah. the chain. But still somewhere. It's... Mm-hmm. Anyway, movie fun time. Ooh, hey, movie happy fun. movie. <laughs> Uh, no white guilt movie fun. <laughs> Kuyan has an interview with Verbal. Giancarlo meets with Hungarian and the Hungarian Arkosh says... Arkosh Kavash. Arkosh Kavash says, Kaiser Soze, I saw him, Kaiser Soze. And they're all like, whoa, what? I actually think that this is where Kaiser Soze gets brought up the first time. I don't remember no, it in the cell scene. It is in the cell scene. Hmm. Well, maybe I'm wrong. But, um, says Kaiser Soze. Well, technically it gets brought up in the first scene because we watch movies with subtitles. And that's just a quirk we have. Some oh, people yeah. don't like it, but... If so you... it was titled as Kaiser Soze saying. Yeah. Anyhow. If you want to tell us why we should stop watching a movie with subtitles, tweet at us yeah. at rmr underscore podcast on Twitter. Uh, rookie Movie Reviews on Facebook or Rookie Movie Review at gmail.com or Rookie Movie Reviews.com. Um, any of those are viable options to, you know, tell us, hey, subtitles ruin the experience. Though we do turn them off for horror movies. And stand up comedy. And, yes. But I. As soon as movies get 100% solid on their volume mixing, mm-hmm. then we can turn off subtitles. What was that one we watched with Keanu Reeves? Constantine? Yeah. The mixing was stupid bad. I don't know if it's just the streaming platform it was on, but Who? trying to watch Constantine, the dialogue was completely incoherent. Yeah. And then the action scenes would start... And it was truly painful volume. It's too loud. So they need to figure it out. Pretty cool movie, though. Yeah, I'd, I, if if it was all one sound. Who's the woman in that? Oh, the one from The Mummy. 
Yeah, and The Favorite. Oh, The Favorite is so good. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that's not on the top 100. Yeah, it seems like artsy enough to catch, uh, you know, movie snob eyes, you know. And um, who's that woman? Who's the queen? Oh, Olivia Coleman. Thank you. She won an Oscar for that role. Yeah, that's a good movie. And yeah. Emma Stone's in it. She does a great job. Or is it the one that kind of looks like Margot Robbie when she was younger? No, it's Emma Stone. Oh, okay. Yeah, Emma Stone, Woman from the Mummy, Olivia Coleman. It's just a really weird movie. Mm-hmm. I, this isn't about the usual suspects at all, but <laughs> I love those movies that take those time periods and make everybody an actual human. Yes. Especially that era, the Victorian era. It's so weird to watch. Mm-hmm. And like when you read something like Pride and Prejudice, it's like, what the fuck is with these people? <laughs> They're going out to play croquet and worrying about how they're signing their letters and stuff. It's Mm -hmm. such a detached, bizarre world. But then you see something like The Favorite, and they're just, they're greedy, and they're in love, and they're kind of vile and gross sometimes, and it's not all this weird elevated bullshit all the time. Was that Queen Victoria? I thought it was Queen Elizabeth. Like the first one. Oh, in uh, The Favorite? Yeah. Maybe. I, I never really... It's easy to call all of that the Victorian yeah, era. Yeah, I, I, I 100% that. view that all as Victorian. And if I say Victorian, it's just people wearing giant ball gowns. Yeah, before and... the Revolution of America. Yeah, yeah. Because after that, it's USA time, baby! Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's... A, the Elizabethan era. Freedom era. Freedom. USA! USA! But not really, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, back to uh, the movie that we actually watched. <laughs> recently okay the interview is beginning now yes it's the interview between gus and K-Pax. oh i was kind of moving into uh with kuyan and capex not gus and the hungarian oh 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 because okay? they're all to... in the room no 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 i'm sorry i'm sorry so he uh kaiser so that uh, blah, blah, blah. kevin spacey <laughs> <laughs> the mystique of the movie <laughs> the mystery yeah well we already gave a spoiler warning so the big thing is that Kevin Spacey verbal kint is Kaiser Soze and it's and the most amazing he keeps saying ending. that he has cerebral palsy he keeps saying he has cerebral palsy or I, he never I assume, says that once I assume that's what <laughs> CP meant <laughs> what is CP supposed to be when does he say CP he says CP it's like I've got CP yeah well when the CP set in I couldn't go to the quartet or whatever the fuck anymore oh okay <laughs> and that's a big part of the answer <laughs> I guess. I just, I don't remember him ever saying what caused him to walk with a limp and whatnot. I just assumed like, oh, he is uh, debilitated in some way. Debilitated. Is that a I word? Yeah, it is. Is that okay to say? Right word. I don't, he is a, per, a differently abled person. Uh, yeah, he, he has, uh, he walks with a limp and has to grasp his arm and he doesn't move around as well. As he used to. He can't be a real criminal because he is limited in his mobility. Yes. Anyhow, the interview starts. Um, and he... So, sorry. I do this even when we're not trying to record a podcast. I try to start five sentences at once. Another setup before this interview is about how many recording devices there are. And there's one with a cigarette box. So he's being obviously recorded at this time. Mm-hmm. And... 
the police chief is there as well as this uh, detective. And uh, when Verbal gets called in, he talks about how he needs a coffee because honestly, his piss can come out like snot. Yeah, he's like, one time I got so dehydrated, it came out like snot. I'm not kidding you. It's serious. Yeah. But Jesus, I'll get your coffee. So he really has no respect for uh, cops. And it's really funny to see like, oh, ho, ho, roasted him, you know. So. Fuck the police. Fuck the police. Any other setup to the interview? Because they get started and. No. Uh, so they get started. And I can't remember what the detective said. But I remember verbal asking are you trying to get a rise out of me because oh yeah he keeps talking about keaton and how keaton's a piece of shit and he's a an ex-cop who's a criminal and right um (laughs) so is is that cop a bad cop yeah it's just a bad apple uh (laughs) what a what a tizzy (laughs) (laughs) uh so they're talking and then i think this was a power play Verbal asks for a cigarette and a light, and he's he can't use his hands that well, but he makes the guy, like, without even asking, he, like, tries, and then he just, like, does, he does a forward head motion with the cigarette in his hand, mm-hmm. and the guy picks up the lighter and lights it for him, so I think that's supposed to be showing that even though cop's sitting on the desk, he's sitting in the lower chair, Verbal has the power here. Oh, yeah. That's a good good call out. It's good blocking and, um, you know, kind of subtle. I know, yeah, so if you do research, do research. If you like true crime a whole bunch and you end up watching a bunch of police interviews because you like true crime so much, you'll see that there are different intimidation. I have this in quotes because it's completely accurate, but it's not full face intimidation tactics by police officers. Where and detectives, where they'll one example is like they'll lean in so that you lean back, mm-hmm. and they'll just do like power stances so that you uh, feel powerless. But that's that's definitely happening here, because the detective is on top of the desk and he's leaning in, so he's mm-hmm. kind of leering over verbal, but he verbal keeps his cool. Like, are you trying to get a rise out of me? Yeah. I'm smarter than you. Yeah, he's a he's a cool as a cucumber. I'm not a rat. So <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk more about the interview, it's it it goes it goes nowhere except for these power dynamics. Yeah. Um, well, we keep coming back to the interview uh, as it goes on. That's but true. That's true. We, but anyway, we see everybody exiting the courthouse because they're all released because nothing can stick on this gun truck charge. Mm-hmm. Now we're back in the past of the forming of the crime. Yes. And Edie is talking to Dean about how she'll take this. They How can they hold you? They had no charges. The front desk sergeant tried to tol- tell me I couldn't come get you, but yeah. you haven't done anything. And then I think this was a really good example of Dean having a terrible accent. Yeah, he... Uh... He definitely kind of dips in and out and speaks kind of quietly and quick so you can't hear it. I do like, again, it's a subtle way of moving the plot forward in that he hugs his girlfriend and he says, hey, you know, we're finished. Not like we're breaking up, but our business is done because these cops took me out in front of the most lucrative thing. Like, they all see me as a criminal. It's over. And then as he has this realization, he looks out and all of the 
uh, other uh, suspects are standing watching him and he makes eye contact and it's kind of like, well, I think at this moment he realized he's he's, he's, back, he's in. back in. Even <laughs> though there's a scene, the next scene is when Verbal goes to Keaton's apartment yeah. and tries to cajole him and uh, Verbal... I mean, this is something else. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that you already revealed that uh, he is Kaiser Soze because there's so much in the movie that shows he's really... You know, like, he's really on top of it, and the cops are pretty dumb, because everything that we see from this point forward is verbal telling the story Mm -hmm. about what happened. And he controls the narrative. Yeah, and he is describing, like, what Keaton was saying, and what Keaton was thinking, even though he couldn't know, because he was not Keaton. So he's, like, making this stuff up, the cops never called him on it, and then he goes to Keaton's house, and... This isn't entirely consistent with my last point where I just said, oh, he is uh, controlling the narrative. But we also see stuff in that narrative where uh, Verbal Kent goes up to people and he's a bit of a ruthless bastard. Like, he tells um, Keaton that he likes the little little uh, scam he's running with the lawyer mm-hmm. uh, just to say, like... He's just saying something nasty and crude and gets a rise out of Keaton and then manipulates him into being on his side. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff throughout the movie where we see Verbal Kent kind of be suspicious. Yeah, and it really doesn't really line up with him being the quiet, uh, sick man, you know. He's the brains of the operation. Uh, so, yeah, eventually he cajoles, cajoles. <laughs> he cajoles. <laughs> Uh, the guy. Do you yeah. say the J? Yeah, you say the J. It's cajoling him. <laughs> too many, too many years of being bad at Spanish. Cajoles. Uh, <laughs> frijoles. Oh, no. One time I was at Aldi, for the rest of you. And because of my limited Spanish, I can pick up on very simple words. Like, two men were at the, they were in the aisle and one of them says mole, and the other one says no frijoles, mole, frijoles. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so, of course, I told Dan about it because we do that in English all the time, and it's just you know we share we share one world with everyone, so why don't we all love each other? <laughs> that was quite a dramatic finish to that <laughs> anecdote. Anyway, I love frijoles. Me too. I love frijoles. You ever been getting a Castillo from from Taco Bell with the guacamole? Guacamole? How do you say? Really living up to the Midwest there, you know. Doing Wisconsin. <laughs> They're, um, we're in Minocqua right now, which is pretty far north uh, Wisconsin. And there is a Mexican place here. And I doubt it's good. It can't be that good this far north. <laughs> we have we have good Mexican down in Madison, but it's probably nothing like what's in Texas. Yeah. And what's in Texas is probably nothing like what's in Guadalajara. <sighs> yeah. I I often um feel as though like do I wanna travel or do I just wanna get the authentic cuisine? I know. Why do we even want to go to Ireland? Fish and chips? Right. Why don't we go somewhere oh. in Caliente? Yeah, I feel like uh <laughs> It's like, man, I'm a really huge fan of Mexican food. How much am I missing out on by not actually going to 
the country and like experiencing Oaxaca, yeah. it. <laughs> or even something more simple like, I fucking love barbecue. Never been to North Carolina or Texas. Or... No, you've been to Texas for about five hellish hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. My, my connecting flight was too slow or too fast. Yeah, and from I... Vancouver. So you went from Vancouver to Dallas to Chicago to Madison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and this all happened between the hours of 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. Uh, so that sucked. Because your flight got delayed from like 4 o'clock. Yeah. Um, God. The the landing gear or something wasn't working, so we sat on the runway for uh, ages. And then when we took off, my connecting flight was going to leave in like a half hour. So I did not get it. And then... We landed in Texas, and I'm like, hey, when can I go home? And they said, well, there's one at, uh, like, 5 a.m. that's leaving, and then there's one leaving at 7 p.m. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to be in this airport until 7 p.m. So I would got to take the 5 a.m. one, and at this point it was 10.30-ish. Yeah. And they say, hey, here's a voucher for a hotel room. And a a bus will come through. They come through every 20 minutes or whatever. You get on it, and I'll bring you to your hotel. So I wait for the bus, but it keeps filling up at earlier terminals. So I don't leave this airport until like 1 a.m. And then it's a 20 to 30 minute bus ride to the hotel. And I get there at like 2.30. And I'm like, here's my voucher. Give me a room. And I says, do you want a wake-up call? I say, uh, yeah, uh, probably for 3.30, because uh, I'm going to sleep for two hours here, um, because my life is hell. Oh. So there's a little <laughs> there's a little tangent about the nightmare of air travel. It can go wrong. Although I suppose the alternative would be taking off and hoping the landing gear works. So <laughs> not too much to do for that. Maybe they can fix it in the air. I don't know. Anyhow, we still have a lot of this movie to get through. <laughs> this is going to be a long one. Yeah. Um, so what happens next is that, that we start learning about the taxi service. They, New York's finest taxi. Which is a bunch of corrupt cops. It's cops. And they pick up criminals from the airport and drive them wherever for like hundreds of dollars a mile. Mm-hmm. But the gang, I forget, I think they just needed some seed money or something or wanted to get in touch with someone. Yeah. But uh, they rob this the guy. The usual suspects. Yeah, the usual suspects. I just started writing the boys. So, like, the boys are uh, everyone that's rounded up in the beginning. They hit this cop car. They take all the money. And then they expose all the cops that are involved. And Herbal Kent mentions how Keaton, in orchestrating his plan, takes down, like, a dozen or two dozen cops that 15. are all corrupt. Okay, so like a dozen cops. Um, so this was a cool scene, just a nice little uh, heist, a little action heist right here in the, uh, I guess, one-third of the way through, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... You think this is one-third? Ah, probably. Okay, so there's also a little side gossipy bitch stuff. I think this is back to the interview room about how Kaiser Soze, Dean Keaton, uh, Dean Keaton died in a fire bunch of years ago and 
uh, well, Dean Keaton died in a fire, but the people who saw him in that warehouse ended up dying. And everyone yeah. who goes against Dean Keaton dies or uh, doesn't want to be in the jury anymore. Yeah, it's definitely, this is a segment where, because he kind of touched it on Keaton earlier, uh, Kuyan did, the detective who is interviewing Verbal. But then this is where Kuyan really goes in. He says, you know, he's been indicted three times when he was on the force for murder. And when he was in jail, he killed four people. And then when he died, two more people died. So, I I mean, they set up Dean Keaton as the red herring for Kaiser Soze. Mm -hmm. But he is truly a bastard. He's he's murdered people as a cop. Mm -hmm. He murdered people in jail. And he murdered people to cover his fake death. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's all uh, like these are really bad people. It's kind of funny how much you root for them because they're cool criminals. But uh, they're horrible. Yeah, they're criminals. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyhow, Keaton is convinced to abandon his GF because they all get in an argument about these stolen gems. Yes. And they're they're like, oh, we're all going to go see the fence because otherwise it would just be McManus and Fenster. Who are buds. They're like, you're not going solo. Yeah. So uh, there's this scene where Keaton is looking down at, in like a library type setting at his girlfriend. And Verbal is there whispering in his ear saying, she'll understand. She'll, she won't be mad. We got to go. Come on. It's apple. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like a little snake. But uh, they go. And then we cut back to... Um, Oh, this is where Kuyan talks about Keaton. And then we also see Gus Fring questioning the survivor. And they start getting a description in a drawer. Uh, yeah. a draw, an artist comes in to draw um, uh, the description. They get a Hungarian translator and all that. Sketch. A sketch art. Yeah. Uh, okay. A sketch artist. That's the, that's the phrase. But they come in. They start questioning. And... Uh, after this, we move on to um, the boys going to visit Redfoot, I believe. Redfoot? Yeah, the he's the um, fence. Oh, not Kobayashi yet. Sorry. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So, yes, they go and meet the fence. Uh, yeah, basically all that I recall here is some fun dialogue where they're all snappy little criminals. Yeah. And then Redfoot pays him for the jewels. And says, hey, I got another job. And uh, there's back and forth, like, Keaton doesn't want to take the job, but they whine enough and he takes the job. Mm-hmm. So that's basically that whole thing. And then there's a bunch of cocaine in a case. That's the next job, right? Just a bunch of coke. Yeah, so they take this next job and it's um, supposed to just be a briefcase full of money. Yeah. And Technically, well, if you trade goods and services for cash... <laughs> Any good or service is potential money. Money can be exchanged for goods and services. Well, little Timmy, your bike's broken, but if you pay <laughs> this mechanic. Yeah, so they, they visit Redfoot, plan the robbery, they rob this diamond guy in a hotel parking lot or something. Job goes wrong in a really exciting way. Uh-huh. Like they a end shootout. up killing everyone. Yeah. You, give me the case. Give me the case. Yeah, and then, it doesn't work out. Well, Keaton doesn't seem like... Okay, sorry, we should back up. So it gets to a fever pitch, and there's a driver who has the case of, we find out, cocaine. But Keaton says, give me the case. 
it's the case of your life, give me the case. And it really seems like he's not going to shoot him. Like something's going to happen where the guy doesn't get shot and Keaton, I don't know, maybe just grabs the case and runs. But at the height of the drama, a shot comes from elsewhere and it's Verbal. Verbal just killed the fucking dude, even yeah. though he's supposed to be the kitten of the group. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. And then they get the case of cocaine and they go meet Kobayashi. There's one thing that really cracked me up about this shootout scene. And I guess it was supposed to be cool at the time, but now it looked really silly. <laughs> which is when McManus has two pistols. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's got this, like, super serious look where he's aiming. But his, like, lips are pursed and he's like, looks really intense. And he's got his stupid, like, skinny, tiny shades on. He's got the, and a leather the jacket And this ridiculous haircut. And... <sighs> He's, like, coming up and trying to aim, and it's really funny looking. And uh, I guess that was, I guess it was 90s cool. You know, they're like, oh, McManus, he's got two guns. He doesn't take shit. This is just like The Matrix, even though that came out in 1999, and it's 1995. It'll be like The Matrix, I would say. This is going to be really cool in a couple of years. Trench coats. Anyway, yeah, they go meet Kobayashi, and it's this white dude with brown face and an Indian accent and a Japanese name. Mm-hmm. So I have many qualms. <laughs> qualms? Do you say the L? <laughs> yeah, you have qualms. You say the L. Qualms. <laughs> Got a lot of shoes. You say the I? Is it issues or shoes? <laughs> oh, man. I think it's issues. But, to meet Kobayashi, yeah. We find out the Sose story, too. <laughs> the story cooked up for um, Sose is cool uh, in a fucked up way. Kobayashi, this is a, this guy's an enigma. I don't know how to. Because he's got a Japanese name. He is clearly a white guy. In two tan. And he definitely is wearing brown face, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And uh, he speaks in Indian or generally foreign accent. That might I... be like what people in the 90s thought Indian was. I don't know. It's very, yeah. I would say it is a less... It, like Apu from The Simpsons. Yeah. It sounds like they're trying to do that to just cover like all Indian accents, which is problematic. And I think we watch enough anime to know what a Japanese accent should sound like. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That that sounds like a silly thing to say, but I mean, we listen to a lot of Japanese Japanese speakers in a lot of different Japanese shows. So, I although tell they you are that... cartoons, so I bet they are. Definitely not natural sounding. No, I think it's been, I've seen it elsewhere, but the girls who speak in like shoujo, or the women too, talk like children. Oh, right. Yeah. I I don't really understand the grammatical structure of Japanese language, but there are different, there's a lot, there's like honorifics, and you can talk in a certain way that's really polite, and there are different dialects. So I, I couldn't tell you if someone from Hokkaido speaks different than somebody from Tokyo. 
but I can tell that a Japanese person is speaking a language that's not like German. Yeah. Or um, I'm blanking on all the Indian languages, like uh, Tam- Tamil, which I'm not sure if that that might that might be actually like Middle Eastern, but um. Yeah, I don't know any either. <sighs> I have so many Indian coworkers. I should know this. Uh. It doesn't. Well, it well, matters, but um, it it's not. It it matters as much as Val Kilmer is the fat guy who does bad kung fu movies for the context of this episode. Steven Seagal. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yes, Steven Seagal. Yes, Steven Seagal. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> where do I get the big reveal of what an actual Indian language is? Uh, um. Yeah. So. Urdu. The, Urdu. Ah. Okay. <laughs> The point is that, I mean, this is just a weird character that they cooked up who is kind of racist. Well, is it racist in 1995? (laughs) And I thought, like, I briefly thought, like, hey, maybe, because we learned later on that uh, Kevin Spacey is just pulling details from the room. Yes. So he's making this up. Yeah, so that's another... That was a good point that you made in the middle of the movie when I'm like, what the fuck is this? But <laughs> it's also coming from the movie that thought a uh, dude in a leather jacket with tiny little sunglasses and a bowl cut uh, holding two pistols was cool. So maybe it's giving it too much credit to say he's coming up with stuff. And maybe we we're actually just meant to believe that that was a Japanese man uh, <laughs> saying Japanese things. So, I don't know. Uh, long story short, we meet Kobayashi. He works directly for Kaiser Soze. He gives them a um, a new job to do. It's, yeah. Oh, God. And he has dossiers on everybody just to, like, kind of yeah, intimidate hold them. So, Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt with you with just filler words, but mm-hmm. he even says, Edie's upstairs. And Keaton's like, no fucking way, because Keaton's the hero of our journey. And it turns out Edie totally is upstairs, so he's going to get murk-dirked if he doesn't help out with um, this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And he also has someone's nephew, but I didn't write down who's the uh, Hackney's. Hackney's, ah. ne- Hackney's nephew, uh, Verbalkin's brother or something, and... McMass's brother. Yeah. They're going to kill family if they don't yeah. because all of their jobs that they've done in the past indirectly stole from Kaiser Soze. Uh, so that's why they're all on the hook now. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So um, they, he's like, you need to go to this boat. Big boat. And kill a bunch of Hungarians. And if you do, you'll get $91 million. Which is a lot of money. And you'll be even with Kaiser Soze. So this is now where we learn about the boat. And the boat. it's the Soze job. Okay, it's the And now that one. I think about it, like, they, I don't know exactly why all the other shit in this movie happened. Like, is it just happenstance that they learn about this Kobayashi guy? No. Because uh, they all meet up. Can't... Robokin brings him up. He's like, hey, we gotta go to Kobayashi. But where do they hear of Kobayashi to meet him? Robokin. He's like his hookup, I think. Oh, okay. So. Like McManus had a fence. Robokin has Kobayashi. Oh, that makes more sense. Okay. Because it kind of seems like just talking about it like this is 
They're all brought in on a charge that doesn't matter. Yeah, the, the armed robber, the, the gun truck. Gun truck. And then they all hang out and plan another job. Because mm-hmm. they're all they, in prison together anyway. Yeah, and then they do that job and they get handed another job. Yeah. And then after doing that job, they get intimidated by Kaiser Soze, and now the actual plot job happens. Yes. Yeah. Well, and this isn't even that much of the movie. This big one. It's like the last 20 minutes. Yeah. But, so, uh, the job for Kaiser Soze begins where they uh, need to do, they need to do this boat job. And now we see the flashback of the story that, because they're, uh, Verbal's talking with Kuyan. Right. And they're saying like, oh, Kaiser is a boogeyman, he's not real. Mm-hmm. And Verbalkin says, I think he is real. Uh, and then he tells the story of his origin. And yes. it's this flashback of how Kaiser Soze was a kind of small time criminal. And they try to squeeze him out of his business. The Hungarian mob. The Hungarian mob tries to squeeze him out of his business. And uh, they're holding his family hostage they rape his wife. They rape his wife, which uh, we discussed as far as rape in movies go. Oh, are we talking about that to the audience here? I think so, yeah. <laughs> because uh, there is a rape in the movie, and it's A, very brief, and um, they do say like that they raped his wife, but they don't show it that. like They show uh, the start of a sexual assault, and then cut um so it's like okay i get what happened that shit was horrible yeah and and this is what i always say like with that kind of content if you need it in a movie um to develop a character they do fuck up in that the victim does not matter at all no they fridged her yeah she gets raped and it's used to make this villain and then she gets immediately killed by her own husband so it's pretty no, he would rather kill his own family than... He'd rather see his family dead than owe anything to the Hungarian mom. Yeah, so basically his origin is his family is horrifically beaten, raped, and assaulted. And then he kills his family, and then he kills all the Hungarians, and then he kills their friends and their family and people who owe them money and stuff. Yeah. And basically goes down the line, and then he disappears. And this is where Robokin says, he's gone. Which is important for the end of the movie, but yes. uh, he says he's just like that. He vanished. I mean, effective origin story, and I think, like, obviously they don't do everything right. They no. use the victim as a stepping stool for a completely different character, and to be honest, a minor character. Like, the actuality of Kaiser Soze and his origin mm-hmm. is not important. You don't need to know what a ruthless bastard he is because at this point we already know he is the boogeyman of the criminal world. He's the Baba Yaga. Yeah. Which, funny enough, Baba Yaga is the female, which... Mm. So it's the wrong... It's not It's not the boogeyman in Russia. So they messed up on the words they chose. For John Wick. For John Wick. Yeah, Keanu Reeves, the boogeyman. Which I think that has a... I think it is better to have a mystique so that your wildest imagination can run rampant about why this is the most feared man among yeah. all these bastards. Yeah. And like it's not like oh nothing nothing would make sense like because 
having your family raped and you murdering them, like, holy shit, that's hardcore. Yeah. But it's like, was your village burned? Was it, uh, was it like you were going to go on a date with someone, but then they didn't show up? What? Or was it like, um, <laughs> you went to Taco Bell and got, like, one of those 20 cases of tacos? What are you But saying? they only gave you, they only gave you 18 tacos instead of 20. And that's why you're evil now. I am really confused. <laughs> no, I'm talking about... <laughs> no, they, left, they left the mythos of Kaiser Soze Oh, so if they didn't show his be... family being murdered and raped and him killing them, Maybe... then it could have been a Taco Bell run going on. Okay. That's funny. Fuck <laughs> you. I didn't hear the segue between... Like, if they did not do that, then what if it was one of these? And I thought you were just talking about, like, random shit that may make someone mad. <laughs> I'm like, what are you, what are you or saying? Like, or like when the cashier kind of touches your hand when they yeah, give you the points. That could be the cause. Good stuff. Or like, um, you get a 12-pack and one of the cans is dented. But it still opens fine. It doesn't foam or anything. It's just like the can's kind of dented. Yeah, and that's not good for the gram. Mm-mm. Or like uh, when you try to go to bed, but there's a small bunch in your pillow. <laughs> so, so we hear the mythos of Kaiser Soze, and it could be any of those things. But it's after... very definitely... The rape of his wife <laughs> and the kidnapping, the potential for them to have all of this over him and like, hey, we won't kill your family if you stop doing your shit. He's like, no, I want to do my shit. Yeah. Yes. So they hear all of this and Fenster, uh, Benicio del Toro, aka the best side character in the movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, decides, mm-hmm. I'm not doing this. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. So he disappears. And then we learned very quickly that uh, he was killed. Yeah. Kobayashi tells him where to find the body. So they go find him. They bury him in a, I don't know, show of solidarity and brotherhood or whatever. But they make a plan. Okay, we got to kill Kobayashi. Because we think, at this point, all the boys are like, hey, Kobayashi is uh, getting the, he's pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. And he says he works for Kaiser Soze. But come on. We we can just kill Kobayashi. Yeah. So there's this cool little scene where um, they they uh, kidnap Kaiser Soze, or they kidnap Kobayashi. They kill his bodyguards or whatever. And I forget what exactly happens that causes them to go along with the peer plan. Yeah, I. But they get Kobayashi. Well, they want the dope. They want the deal. Still, they want all the money. Okay. But they don't want to do it for for like Owen. They don't want to pay back. This mythical figure. Right. Okay, I'm with you. So the plan begins on the pier. And we get some weird lines. Yeah, okay. From McManus. I'm glad you're talking about that. Um, they're planning out, like, they're going to go up. There's a bunch of Hungarians on this boat. This is the, the final plan, so we're approaching where the movie begins. And, you know, we see Dean Keaton tells Verbal, he's like, hey... You stay here, and if things go south, get out of here. Take the money, go. Uh, so it's like, oh, Dick Keaton, the thief with a heart of gold, or the murderer with a, a heart of gold for other thieves. Is he a hooker? 
Yeah, well, that that line is in this movie. Oh, that happens with uh, Kuyan and Verbal, because Verbal's like, you don't understand Keaton, he's a good guy. And Kuyan says, don't tell me to hook her with a heart of gold story. So, yeah, he, he is a hooker with a heart of gold. <laughs> but the plan goes off, and uh, we see everyone moving into position. They're going to kill a bunch of Hungarians and get a bunch of dope. But McManus is setting up with a rifle... And with a scope. With a scope. He's got a sniper up top, and he's going to shoot a bunch of Hungarians. And he's, I'm not going to say the word, but uh, he says, Oswald was a F-word. Like the, uh, you know, the, the homosexual Gay slur. slur. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> it really caught me off guard. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I, I get that it's the 90s and stuff. and There's no reason. No, like, I guess at that time it's like, Oh, he because it was ninety five. He's our edgy character who's uh, doesn't give a shit, and he's gonna use this word that's. Uh, I suppose in the nineties it was a swear word, but it was like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. Instead of like, yeah, I'm cool with perpetuating hate against the disenfranchised yeah. group of people. Um, so it was really <laughs> weird <laughs> to hear it Even used so in the flippantly. 90s, like Stonewall happened back then, you know? It's yeah. just, it's gross and it shouldn't be in this movie. It and... definitely ruined McManus for me. Yeah. I was fine with like kind of laughing at him for being doofy 90s cool, you know? But um, after this, it's like, oh, it's. <laughs> Like, I should be mad at the writer, mm-hmm. but McManus is a piece of shit because he's a homophobe. Right. And but. Lee Harvey Oswald? Like, what? Yeah. That's, it's also a weird... Because Oswald got his target. Kennedy's gone. I, I, I guess I took it to mean, like, he was a loser because he only killed one guy. I'm about to snipe, like, ten guys. I didn't... It was a weird burn. It doesn't... It's bad. No bueno. Bad. It's a bad line. And then also, when he when the plane goes off and he's killing people, and he like moves to a different sniper position or whatever, uh, he's singing Old MacDonald was a farm, had, had a farm, E-I-E-I-O. Mm-hmm. And that was weird. I don't know if that was supposed to be like badass, like he's doing a nursery rhyme. They basically... Fucked up this character in the past. In it's the like last they 10 changed minutes. directors, and the director was like, "I know, I know what's cool. I'm 13. Yeah. I'm gonna use the f word, and then I'm going to have him sing a nursery rhyme because he's so calm about it. I it I don't understand. Maybe it was it's bad. Maybe it was cool in the 90s. It, I don't. I, I don't get it. I don't remember this scene. Uh, all I remember, we'll talk about it later, but. You know, the final scene. Yeah, so there's... Um, I just wrote down betrayal with an exclamation point. I wrote down no coke exclamation point. Oh, okay, that must be it. So there's no coke on the boat. No and, coke on the boat. And Keaton is freaking out. He's like, there's no fucking coke. They're screaming at each other, him and McManus. Yeah. And, uh... McManus wrote, gets fucking stabbed. Yeah, McManus gets stabbed. Dean gets... He gets shot in the back after best? investigating... Yeah. And also, oh, the betrayal is that Hockney gets shot at the truck. Oh. So things are starting to go wrong. Yeah. Hockney's shot. The boys. McManus is stabbed. Keaton's shot in the back. Benicio and, del Toro has been dead. Yeah, he's long gone. He's but buried on the beach. But they needed five. This is why it went wrong. They needed five and they had four. Yeah. What the hell? They totally <laughs> dropped that. Anyway, um, 
after this, we cut back to Kuyan and Verbal. And so we, like, see it all go off. People mm-hmm. are dying. And then Kuyan has this gotcha reveal of how Dean Keaton is Kaiser Soze. Oh. And it's a, I, I still, like, even saying it the second or third time, and I know what's actually going to happen. It's still like, oh, shit. Like, he planned the whole thing. There's this dramatic music overcut with, you know, scenes of... Oh, I drew a little uh, picture because there was... Um, I drew a little picture of like a silhouette of a monster type thing because there's a scene on this on the boat. It's all shadowy and nighttime. And they go through this doorway and the doorway looked like the silhouette of a, a hunched figure and then there were like porthole lights or something right where the eyes would be. And I thought, oh, that's like a... It's just a doorway, but it kind of jumped out at me as like a shadowy figure and I thought that's cool I want to doodle that so that's why I drew a little figure um but uh the gotcha of Keaton being Kaiser Soze was really cool and you know verbal Kint is hamming it up and saying no no it can't be true like (laughs) he's not Kaiser Soze um but yeah everyone uh everyone on the boat dies except for except for verbal Kint who is hiding verbal Kint and that other very burnt Hungarian. Yeah. Oh, I guess it's revealed that um, there is no coke. There is a guy who could identify Kaiser Soze, and uh, he was. They these guys were sent in to accidentally kill this man um, because he's like the witness that could bring down Soze, right? So just just like Dean to do. Yes, but uh, anyhow, you want to walk us through the final moments here? Tell tell us the twist. The and very tell... end of the movie. Yeah, because okay. I'm pretty sure that's what's next, right? Yes, like, everyone dies, so. then we go back to the interview office. So, it is verbal Kint with Kuyan, and essentially, Kint's free to go, and we see him walking out, and we see the board, and we see Kuyan thinking back to what Verbal said about being in a quartet, and he notices, well, he drops his coffee, yeah. he's drinking his coffee, he's staring at the board, but... He drops it, and he sees that there's a quartet from the city. Skokie. Skokie. Illinois, yeah. Illinois, which is where Verbalkin said his quartet had been. Mm -hmm. And then he sees, like, Kobayashi is the bottom of his mug, and all of the details that that Verbal has put into his story are plucked from Verbal cues around the room. And we see him walking... And he's limping, then he's slowly not limping, and then he's walking, and that's the biggest, best shit about this movie. Yeah. Is that, that like, holy fuck, verbal kint was Kaiser Soze. Yeah, that one, the the shot that does it for me every time, and it's so clever where you're just watching his feet. It's just a shot of his feet, and slowly his uh, limp goes away. It's like, damn it. That is so cool. It's obviously an all-timer twist wise and it really it's definitely the reason the movie is in the top 100 otherwise it's just oceans 11 yeah like they get away with the crime or one dude but having this as good as oceans 11 oh really you would make that claim Mm. i like oceans 11 oceans 11 is 11 out of 10 (laughs) but yeah so fantastic twist and then we get some fun little callbacks of, uh, you know, Verbal Kent saying, just when you 
just when you thought you had him, he's gone. And then it cuts the credits. You know, we also saw stuff like the sketch came through. Yeah. Of, and it looked uh, like a rough version of Kevin Spacey. And, you know, we see that the guy who was Kobayashi in his mind. Well, hey. Uh, Hi. There. So the guy that picks him up. Yeah. Is who Kobayashi was. So he probably described this person that he knew in reality. Like, he's made up this lawyer, Kobayashi. And he was just describing the guy who picked him up at the end, so his accomplice. But that doesn't change the fact that he is uh, still, like, a racist depiction of a character. So, that's why it's such a bizarre amalgamation in the movie. But, yeah, damn, just, the ending is by far the best part. Fantastic twist. Uh, Really well written. Yeah. Yeah. A really good twist. I think the twist is definitely what makes the movie so good. Otherwise, it's just, like, 90s action. I guess, like, my big pluses would be it's written well. The dialogue is fun. Yeah, it's a fun It's a fun movie. The story is engaging. You know, it's a fun little crime heist. And uh, the twist is really phenomenal. Like, mm-hmm. the, the final moment is, like, oh, so cool, so satisfying. Everything else is like average to below average. <laughs> the The action is like kind of corny '90s cool that isn't actually cool. It's just oh, leather jackets, weird sunglasses, <laughs> haven't aged well. The whole character of McManus is yeah. that he's like oh, he says slurs because he's edgy. Uh, not so cool anymore. And then you know all the character like the acting's not amazing. I think that the characters are fun to watch, but they're not they're not breaking ground, you know? It's no. like oh the the hardened career criminal trying to go straight, the 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 badass, the wild card, you know, it's it's very formulaic in that degree. Yeah, it's definitely formulaic. But Cause, well maybe it's because it uh some movies do such a good job that they get rehashed. Like, the ideas from them sparks a new idea, but you can trace the line back to its genesis, and eventually it seems hackneyed. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that happened to this movie. That's, like, like we've already picked up notes from it in Ocean's Eleven and The Matrix. But also, it, it is a product of the 90s. I feel like a lot of those kinds of movies were being made. Like, we watched, I don't remember the YouTuber... But they were talking about, like, the reason Interview with a Vampire got made was because of Oh, Patrick movies. H. Willems. Yeah. Really phenomenal. He does a great job. Yeah. He, uh, he is something we aspire to be after we're just... When we're done with the list and we have to be more clever, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, final ratings? Final oh, words? Final words. Um, like you were saying with the iterative process of of movies like oh someone liked usual suspects is the heist genre heist genre for sure parasite heist movie it's got its it's got its cast of characters how dare you compare (laughs) parasite right but it's got like cast of characters they all have their own personalities and um they're trying to do this crime and uh, all this stuff but if you haven't seen parasite yet you have fucked yourself. Oh yeah, you gotta see it. It's you it's the only one we gave a ten out of ten so far, yeah. and it is so good. But it's also in this heist 
genre. And in my view, comparing these, it's you got characters who I really believe in. Like everybody is uh, like such an authentic person. Whereas mm-hmm. this is like we need the guy who shoots two guns at once. Yep. You know, and that they're not like, people; they're caricatures. Yeah. And so, and also Except like the stakes are. I would call verbal the person of this story and maybe he made these caricatures in his narrative because maybe that is that is story writing but to, it's, to fit a narrative for the police but you're also it's giving a lot of credit giving a lot of credit to a movie that has a man in a leather jacket who with says skinny the little sunglasses <laughs> that uh headshots two people at once because he's so damn good you know yeah, that's fair. but uh yeah so i yeah. guess i don't know just wanted to kind of draw that forward to like, hey, this is like this is characters, and if you refine that, then you get something like Parasite. Every time you compare a movie to Parasite, the movie drops a point. Oh, really? To me, yeah. yeah. Stop well, doing it. What was the last one I did it for? Uh, Inception, I think, got brought up. Oh, yeah, because that's another heist movie. Yeah. And that is... Bad. It's not as it. It it's, has good visual effects. I'd say it's worse than Usual Suspects. It's not as homophobic as Usual yeah. Suspects. Should we just write this thing? Yeah. Okay. One, two, three, six. six. Hey, oh, great months okay. Like that's the first time we said the same thing in a while. Yeah. Six out of ten. I guess just uh, above okay. average. It's yeah. Rewatch. It's worth it for the twist. Uh. Not anymore, but. Uh, <laughs> it's fun. It's a it's a thrilling movie. It's fine. It's just it's good. It's, problematic. It's a nineties action movie that I bet my brother really likes. It is only relevant because of the twist. Yes, and I don't think that's controversial. No, so. everything else is fine. <sighs> and Kevin Spacey raped a child. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. We already gave our socials, so uh, you know, hit us up anytime. And thanks for listening. And I hope you. Hope you consider subscribing and engaging. Bye-bye. Bye.